0: Coming on videocassette from Paramount. Ah, ah. Spend the holidays with Bill Murray. Oh, watch out! As he learns the true meaning of Christmas. Thanks, boys. Get the nurse. Whether he likes it. I'm the ghost of Christmas Present. Or not. <laughs> See Bill Murray get scrooged. Reserve your copy today.
1: Steve Carell. Uh, Steve Carell, let's go uh, bath towel and a face cloth.
2: Uh, Christy Swanson. Ooh, uh, Just a face cloth. Lee Majors.
1: A VCR for sure. Uh, Patrick Duffy. That one's going to get a VCR and a face cloth and a bath towel.
2: Mm. Uh, Heather Locklear. A VCR. And Kristen Bell.
1: Uh, a VCR and a VCR rewinder.
2: Oh, perfect. Okay, great. Yeah. All right, we got that batch down. We, we got a lot more names to cover, but...
1: Yeah, we, sh- we should probably uh, move on. Are we, oh, we're recording. Okay, shoot.
2: Yeah, I might as well just get into it.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, uh, welcome back, everybody, to Reconcinimation. I am John Diner. I'm Dave Munchak. And I'm Brent Hutchins. And... It's the holiday season. So happy holidays to everybody. It's our, uh, again, it's our favorite time of year here around Recon Cinema Studios. The whole, David, you finally got the whole uh, studio lot decorated and Mm -hmm. you've been working really hard on that all by yourself. So kudos to you for uh, getting that, the uh, 200 foot uh, Christmas tree uh, put up and decorated.
2: Yeah, I. It was amazing. I had to get my
1: crane operating license just to get the whole thing up, but it's done. Was it hard to operate the crane and then at the same time, like go out there and like personally hang it up, hang yeah. up all the you know all the ornaments? And yeah,
2: you know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a lot of back and forth, and yeah, I made it work though. I yeah. Just, once you, I was, I spent a lot. Down, of... Move the crane. <laughs> climb yeah. back up. Climb back up. <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time in the simulator, though, so it was good to... to, to I feel like I, I, I can really handle it now. So. The Recon
1: Christmas Simulator? <laughs> the Recon craneulator That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's Christmas time here, and we love talking about uh, Christmas movies. We've been building up a little bit. We had uh, uh, Dr. No, which has nothing to do with Christmas, then Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> partially Christmassy you know Christmas right people we decided yeah yeah California Christmas yeah exactly and now here we've got a for for sure one of the top uh Christmas movies on a lot of lists maybe not everybody's but uh we are going to be talking about 1988's uh, Bill Murray Christmas classic Scrooge. It's a Christmas movie that's near and dear to my heart. But what about you guys? Uh, what's Brent? When? What's your first memory? When do you see Scrooge for the first time?
3: Oh, boy. Um, I would probably say in 88. I, I mean, you know, it's one of many uh, adaptations of A Christmas Carol. At that time, I think the one that I was most familiar with was george c scott's version which was on every holiday so when this first came out and i was a big fan of that one so when this one came out i was very excited to see it because i was ready for a for something a little bit more contemporary and this uh this came out um you know and and i'm pretty positive i saw it at the theaters although i don't think many people did but i was one of them
1: uh yeah we'll get into the box office side of side of things but um yeah, so you did. You remember seeing in the theater? Yeah. And which theater was that?
3: It was probably Lowe's.
1: We want to mark that Lowe's, down historically. Lowe's,
3: Lowe's Seven. It's on the. It was on the back side of the Sam's Club.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. God, what year was the George C. Scott one? That was I want to say oh, it was eighty four. Yeah. Eighty four. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, so that would have been the the version that was sort of. Probably more on our radar, but uh we'll we'll talk about the you know going into Scrooge, but we'll talk more about the, the yeah alter the other versions of uh, the story there's been so many of them, but um what about you, David? Do you see this one in the theater? you see it at home? Do you see it last week?
2: <laughs> well, I did see it last week <laughs> um, no, I think I might have seen this in the theater. It seems like I would have um but i can't like really recall, and then I remember probably watching it every year on you know on on the local affiliates on the weekends uh you know in the holiday seasons for years afterwards so um you know i can it's like i it's almost like it's been around as long as i can remember even though i wasn't that young when it came out so but it feels like it's always been around so yeah no i i've i've watched this movie a lot of times
1: yeah that's um that's interesting i uh i remember not wanting to see it in the theater because in the trailers the ghost of uh, Christmas future and and John Forsythe were just a little too I'm like what is this movie I'm I'm not I'm I'm too scared I'm I'm not a ready little, for it
3: <laughs> yeah they're a little terrifying oh,
1: yeah 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 um little- and we'll talk about like the direct the, the weird kind of directions that this movie goes in and and how that works but uh from a what was I eight or nine? You know that that was uh, not cool for me. <laughs> so uh, I skipped that one in the theater, but I did see it. This was another one of those like my dad picked it up on Friday nights from the video store and brought it home. So it must have been some point in '89 uh, when whenever it came out on home video that I saw it. And then then I didn't I I didn't see. It was one of those movies that in my world just like disappeared for years. And it wasn't until I started working at uh, Suncoast Motion Picture Company and I had the, the world of cinema at my fingertips <laughs> that I was like, oh my God, Scrooged. I totally, like, completely forgot about this movie. And I went through a whole Bill Murray. We we talked about this on our Groundhog Day episode, which you can listen to in the archives at Com. But my whole, like, history with Bill Murray I in high school, I did a huge deep dive and and just rewatched everything and fell completely uh, in love with, with Bill. But uh, so, yeah, so it, it had a resurgence for me uh, in the what late nineties. And then I've loved it ever since. I try to watch it every Christmas. It doesn't always happen, but sure. got it in last year, got it in this year. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we mentioned there's been uh, so many versions of Charles Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol. There's, uh, you know, I think the first one was like, called, was called Marley's Ghost in 1901. And wasn't that, there was a 1950, was it 1951, I think, the Alistair Sim version? That was like the one that was always on TV, I remember. And probably now to this day, they still run it, I'm sure. TNT yeah. or somebody like that. Yeah, I believe that's true.
2: Yeah, that that's the uh, one.
1: Yeah, is it fifty one? Yeah, probably. Fifty yeah. yeah, it's in the early fifties, so yeah.
3: Yeah, it was originally uh titled Scrooge and then it got retitled uh in the US as a Christmas Carol. So right. Yeah. It it uh but yeah, nineteen fifty one starring he, Alistair, so
1: he
2: played uh Tiny Tim, right?
3: Uh Alistair was Scrooge. Scrooge yeah.
2: Oh okay. Yeah.
1: I thought he was Tiny Tim. No. Okay, Tiny Tim's not going to get his name over the over the title of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) He's got like five lines. Uh, (laughs) Scrooge, the Tiny Tim story. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
3: unless you have Mary Lou Retton playing (laughs) Tiny Tim, then
1: maybe that's different. She was Um, America's sweetheart in the eighties. That's true. And now, who knows who she is? (laughs) Who remembers? She's still Mary Lou.
2: True. Many generations. Yeah. Plenty of generations remember Mary Lou Retton.
1: Your modern audience, though, is not going to be familiar with Your that. Your
2: teen demographic?
1: Yeah, probably not.
2: Yeah, Your 18 to 24s? Probably not. The probably Zoomers?
1: Not. They won't the Zoom- even remember who Tom Brady is in a few years. Maybe not. Who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you guys see that version of uh, A Christmas Carol, though? with Tom Brady? <laughs> the Tom Brady version, yeah. <laughs> Missed it. Oh, he, he can act. <laughs> yeah, that dude's Sorry. got chops. He's amazing. Ooh. Wasn't he in that show that Paul Rudd show where he plays like multiple versions of himself? I forgot the name of that. Oh, right. Yeah. The Tom Other Brady sh- shows living up. Living with
2: myself or whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. I guess is that, that the was a Netflix practice... one?
1: Yeah, the Netflix one, yeah. Yeah, oh, Tom okay.
2: Brady shows up for a like, a brief moment, I think.
1: Maybe that's, oh, that's a practice funny. run to do a, a Christmas carol starring Tom Brady
2: yeah uh no i'm i've i i think i only saw the alistair sim one like twice and i was i was definitely like a little kid mm-hmm. um and then i'd seen like bits of it afterward but i remember it like being really kind of spooky and weird and like you know i mean it's just, it is a ghost story you know yeah so yeah. there are those elements like yeah
3: uh, i don't know i don't actually know that i've ever s- i mean i'm sure i've seen that one but i, I don't recall it I mean, the one that I mostly remember, like I was mentioning earlier, uh, the one that I mostly remember watching as a kid was the George C. Scott one. That one sticks out.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then that was kind of the next bit. Like, there's been so many versions of this of this story over the years, and the George C. Scott one was was another big one. That uh, I'm a huge George George C. Scott fan, so um, yeah, that was that was a big one I remember as well.
2: I think the one I probably had seen the most, and probably still. It's probably Mickey's Christmas Carol, the Bingo. TV special. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. that stuff was scary as hell.
1: <laughs> I watched that over and over and over. It was like that and uh Pluto's Christmas tree. Those were the uh I think yeah. they were <clears throat> they like ran together.
3: Yeah. We watch huh. those with my kids now. How yeah.
1: Neat. Yeah. I did too until they were done with that stuff so and they're like dad
2: really <laughs> yeah. like no more disney
1: we're gonna go hop in the car and drive down to the video <laughs> <I know.
4: laughs>
1: my kids are, are 45 now so <laughs> yeah um <laughs> but yeah i loved the uh mickey's christmas carol that was and that was still kind of like disturbing to me like there's there's dark elements to this that um you know, was it uh, you know Scrooge was Scrooge McDuck when he's like crawling out of the grave and and he's like going, it's like he's going down to hell. Like that was disturbing yeah. as a five year old. Well, man.
3: how do you, how you? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to pull off scaring someone into changing without it being kind of scary, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: IBC presents oh. live via satellite from New York, Bethlehem, Helsinki, West Berlin, and the Great Barrier Reef. Charles Dickens' immortal Christmas classic, Scrooge, starring Buddy Hackett, Jamie Farr, the Solid Gold Dancers, and Mary Lou Redden as Tiny Tim. Hosted by Sir John Houseman. Bah, Scrooge, humbug. it will touch your every heartstring. That's right, it all starts on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve on IBC. You'll love it. Oh, my gosh. Does that suck? Uh,
1: 1988, along comes Scrooged. And, and uh, let's get into the sort of the backstory of the, uh, the creation of this version of, of A Christmas Carol. And uh, it was written, an earlier draft was written in 1986, I believe, that um, Bill Murray, it, it came to Bill Murray and he, he turned it down initially and then kind of came back to it a little while later and started playing with it and tinkering with it. And along with writers, Mitch uh, Glazer and uh, Michael O'Donoghue, uh, tweaked it to kind of really like work for his style of comedy and his, uh, his sarcastic kind of humor and, and really make it, uh, tailored to him. But, um, Bill Murray in 1988, uh, he you guys remember he'd taken it like a like a f almost a four year break after Ghostbusters, right?
3: Yeah, that's right. He took I mean, this was the first real movie he had come back to do. Um and I think that's why he didn't do it in '86. He was just not ready to come back to to acting yet. I mean, there were other things that had been around. I think Razor's Edge came out yeah, after not- after Ghostbusters, but I think filmed around the same time?
1: Yeah, it may have even filmed before Ghostbusters and then came out after to kind of, to try to like, I mean, G- Ghostbusters, Bill Murray was, he was a star from Saturday Night Live, and then was like, his star it just kind of kept rising through the early 80s with stripes, and then <clears throat> unfortunately he, he sort of benefited from John Belushi passing away, which opened the door for him to, participate in ghostbusters right um and that movie was huge was that the number one movie of 84 i believe it was a beverly hills
2: cop oh they're very they're neck and neck i think ghostbuster just edges it out
1: yeah but i mean that was huge because that became not just a popular movie but that was like pop culture it was everywhere they were all over tv you had you know, the cartoon came afterwards and, and the toys and the marketing and everything. And I don't think Bill Murray, I mean, I'm sure he admits this, that he wasn't, I don't think he signed up for that, <laughs> you know? Right. I don't think that was his intention of like becoming a star. And, um, you know, when he did Tootsie, you know, he's got a, a co-starring role in Tootsie and he had his name taken off the credits cause he didn't want people to think it was a Bill Murray movie. Mm. Um, which is unrelated to this, but just that's his mentality is that he didn't necessarily want the spotlight and the attention. And he got beyond that with Ghostbusters and was like, you know, I I think he was like the number one star in, in America, you know, right after that movie came out and at a time where there's so many, there's Arnold Stallone, Eddie Murphy, you know, there's, it's prior to Bruce Willis, but, um,
3: yeah. Well, I mean, even nowadays, like you hear stories about Bill Murray and, you know, I mean, I think, I think he likes to have the illusion of being able to have anonymity, right? Even though, even though if he walks in anywhere, he's going to be recognized, but like, even to get him to be in movies now, you have to call some shady phone number. You might Mm -hmm. get a call back. He might just show up. He may not, you know, it doesn't, he, he likes, he likes to kind of, you know, roll, roll his own way and, and back in 84 after ghostbusters yeah i mean he was he was hugely popular and i think him leaving for four years didn't necessarily derail that at all it probably made him more popular yeah and more sought after because he was impossible to cast for for such a long time after such a big
1: movie Right, and I think uh, compounded with that, so you've got the 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 intense star factor that's happening uh, to him in his career, and at the same time, he's got Razor's Edge, which is much more of a you know a personal uh, a piece that he was personally invested in and emotionally invested in, that just does terrible, completely tanks, and I think he was just really didn't know what direction to go in and I, I mean I think he had like a nervous breakdown after that and then split from the business moved to France for four years and um, was kind of in almost like a seclusion although he did he did come back for a brief little role in uh, Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. yeah which was classic I mean which is sh-
3: which he shouts out at the end of this movie exactly yeah <laughs> That's right.
2: Um, um, real, real quick. Beverly Hills Cop did edge out Ghostbusters by about five million. In five million.
1: Okay. In so, but that's the number one and two, right? Yeah, it's one and two. Yeah. Uh, but still, yeah. So he, you know, he takes this hiatus from uh, from film for for a few years, and this was sort of his uh, his you know reintegration into into the world of film, but. I think you're right, Brent. It didn't. It wasn't like <clears throat> time away made his star off. kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like it. It just made the heart grow fonder, right? Right.
3: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So he came back to like this. It was basically like even more intense than when he, than when he left because by the, you know, Ghostbusters had just built momentum even after it was done with the because of the cartoon you had. You know, younger kids even still uh, coming to know that movie, and then the intense push for Ghostbusters too, like that never stopped. So, um, but before he got involved with that, he was able to get this in. And I, I, I wonder if Bill. We should get Bill on the show sometime. <laughs> we should call that that secret number. We should. Which I, can, which I can, if I push for it, I can get that number. <laughs> I won't say Ken, how, but you should just. <laughs> you should just get it We I should just, just have it. it we should just have it just in case i think we should we should I, i'll get it we'll call him and if he wants to come on the show he can come on live COVID or no COVID. yeah for <laughs> is this sure
2: our, is this our third bill murray movie on the show we did caddyshack
1: yeah we did groundhog day we did groundhog caddyshack day. and now this and then okay all right Uh, And we'll be covering lots of Bill Murray movies down, down the road, but, um, he's got a thing about Christmas. Uh, I feel like he's done a number of Christmas projects. Um, which ones? Yeah. Well, he was very heavy on like, he's done Christmas episodes of Saturday night live. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to say in 80 or 81, he does the Christmas episode there. I want to say he does it again a few years later. Um, He's got this movie. He's got his Christmas special that was yeah, came out, the, what, three oh, years right.
3: ago? Three years ago. The Very Murray. The very A Murray Very Christmas. Murray Christmas. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which I love. I don't know about you guys. What do you think? I haven't of that? seen it. You've I've seen never
3: it. seen it? Haven't seen it. Oh,
1: my God. I've, I'm terrible. I missed out. I, I
2: guess I can still watch it
1: anytime. Both of you guys have. I'm the only one here who's seen it. Oh, my God. You gotta, we should stop watch it right now and then come back and record. Um, it's, uh, it's great. There's, it's also, uh, co-written by Mitch Glazer who wrote the, mm-hmm. wrote, wrote this film. So, um, yeah, interesting, but it's, it's, it's kind of a musical thing. It, it's, I don't know. I, I, it's not necessarily, it's a little bit like a variety show. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That that's, that, that's kind of why I probably haven't tuned in.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's Sofia yeah. Coppola and it, I'm sure it's, it's
2: good. I just, yeah. you know, the, yeah, not, the, the idea of it is kind of not that great.
3: Yeah, I'm me. with you, David. It's not really not really my thing.
1: It's kind of like a variety sh- a Christmas variety show with a Lost in Translation spin to it.
3: Oh. Right. Sounds just You're <laughs> not
1: really selling this. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Do you not like Lost in Translation?
2: Well, just like yeah, of videos.
3: course, but not for like, hey, let's. Uh, I'm looking for a good time. Let's watch Lost in Translation. That's not. Oh, uh, you know, like- it's
1: great though. It's it's you got celebrities, you got Bill, you got singing about Christmas. It's fantastic.
3: Uh, all I- right, I'll 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 pull I'll I'll watch it at some point. I'm sure I'll, I'll yeah. pull a double feature and watch that and the Bill Murray stories.
1: If you there haven't you seen that documentary, that one is also very fascinating about yeah. Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. I've I've watched parts of it. I haven't seen it all the way through.
0: Yeah. You know who loves Mary Lou, Brett, and Frank? My kids. Yeah. Children love an acrobat. We have spent $40 million on a live TV show. You guys have got an ad with America's favorite old fart. Reading a book in front of a fireplace. Now, I have to kill all of you.
1: Anyway, so yeah, so the film is written by uh, Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue, both of which he's got a history with uh, coming up through Saturday Night Live. Michael O'Donohue was the first head writer of Saturday Night Live, so he was there for nineteen seventy, the the first five years, 75 through 79, and then um, uh, I believe he almost came back a few years later when Lorne Michaels returned, but then there was a, or he was back for a little while and then left pretty quickly. Michael O'Donohue was a very intense person. He actually makes a cameo in the film, uh, in, the, in the scene where he go, he's in the coffin and getting about to be cremated. Mm-hmm. He's the priest there, so you can just see him for a second. Oh. Um, Got it. But yeah, <clears throat> he's a very intense uh, character who's very passionate about his projects. And if you go back to early Saturday Night Live, some of the very, some of the more strange skits were all like Michael O'Donoghue. And he's actually the very first person to appear and say a line on Saturday Night Live. It's not any of the rest of the cast. It's Michael O'Donoghue. Hmm. Really? Yeah, it's in a skit with Belushi.
3: There's a fun fact for you.
1: Yeah uh and mitch glazer uh was another writer who was kind of hanging around that whole snl group uh he wrote the novelization for the blues brothers and i think that may have been his kind of like creative sort of entry in in with these guys and um you know they had written the script in uh in the mid 80s and and again once bill decided he was interested in the project he was he would tinker with it and they, and they knew his comedy and Mitch Glazer has gone on to write a a lot of the things that Bill's been involved with. So um, I think he's kind of like Bill's writer now. Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And Michael O'Donohue passed away and I believe was 1994. So uh, Richard Donner uh, is the director of the film and it's a really interesting mix of putting donner with these writers and with bill murray because donner's Mm -hmm. not a not a comedy director no oh that's good no he's not hmm i mean he's coming off at this point he's coming directly off of lethal weapon Mm -hmm. so you know huge obviously not a comedy Um, it kind of becomes a comedy uh, later Comic down bits. the road. Yeah. But the first one doesn't really have any sort of oh, yeah, humor in it.
3: I guess it's not until really
1: Joe it's Pesci. Peshy. Yeah, once Pesci you get Pesci
3: yeah. brings the comedy. Well, I mean I, mean, I mean, I guess you know what I read is that there was kind of some static between Murray and Donner, you know, like it wasn't a necessarily a great set to be on. Um, you know, and I think that's because creatively they have different approaches, right? I mean, Murray's very ad lib and kind of uh, fly by the seat of his pants and just go, go with it. And I think Donner looks for more structure.
1: Yeah. And I think it was more of a a stylistic, uh, you know, difference of opinion too, that, you know, I mean, I think it all worked out in the end, but, Donner again isn't a comedy director, and I think Murray and and the writers had a real problem with that. He didn't know how to direct Bill Murray, and uh, you know, Bill Murray, too, especially at this time, was very I know I think he had a particular way that he wanted things done, and and you know, he didn't have the best reputation as someone you wanted to work with in the late 80s all the way through the 90s. It wasn't until after Rushmore. Oh, yep. We forgot Rushmore. We, we, uh, this is his fourth appearance here. So, oh boy, Rushmore was really a game changer for Bill Murray. It changed his whole attitude of how he worked with his directors and worked with the other, you know, creative members on on the team. Is
3: that just, did Wes Anderson like tap into something or, or Bill Murray
1: just had reached a point of maturity? I, I think a combination. I think, uh, you know, Wes was able to kind of strike a nerve with bill that he found something that worked. And obviously they've done almost every film since then together. So, um, and I know people who have worked on, uh, Bill Murray films and said, he's like totally fantastic. In fact, like he barely wants to be on camera he just wants to like hang out with the crew and he's got like a, like a bar that, that he, that, you know, usually he would, he would bring around and it was all about like once we, once we cut, that's, that's when the fun starts. So (laughs) um, very different from his, you know, if we we go back to the stories on groundhog day, just really challenging to work with really, you know, sounded like it was at times unpleasant to be around and, not very much fun and I, and I think it really starts with Scrooge but I think it comes from that spotlight being on him um, right. and getting all that attention that he never wanted yeah um, so yeah there was a difference of opinion with Donner and and uh, I, I think Donner was you know I, I think he didn't use a lot of the takes that Murray would have preferred to have in there mm. right Uh, you know, like, like you mentioned, Bill likes to ad lib. He likes to go off script. He likes to, you know, kind of feel the scene and then do his version of it with a director like Richard Donner. It's like, stick to the script. He's going to want to, you know, uh, just go with with the version that's in there and not necessarily do something different. So. Well, and you
3: see, you do see it. I mean, at least in one scene specifically uh, the, the, that last scene of, of the movie, the whole, you know turn for the character scene mm-hmm. um, the majority of that was ad lib like from what I understand, some people on the set were concerned about Bill Murray's <laughs> mental health during that scene because he was so frantic and all over the place during the filming of of that, and it was very much just from the hip and and uh not not scripted much at all but don't you think that's what makes that so great that scene see it's funny because i actually don't really like that scene that much at all like it feels really scattered to me and and not um it just doesn't feel very genuine like i i enjoy the movie quite a bit i i really do like it a lot but that last scene in rewatching it i just didn't feel as heartfelt and sincere to me as I think I remembered it being. Um, huh. So it didn't land with me as much. And maybe it's just because for the podcast, I watched it a couple times. And when I watched it again for the last time, just just the other day, um, like it, it just really didn't affect me in any way. I, I felt very detached from it and was not not caught up in any kind of emotion which i typically would be in that type of scene and so i don't know if it's just because i had seen it so many times or or not but it it didn't land with me as much as a lot of the other scenes unlike the opening of the movie that scene every single time i see it i i like it more and more i find it fascinating
1: in the boardroom yeah in the boardroom not the lee majors part Mm-hmm. oh
3: with lee majors no i mean he's <laughs> part of it he's definitely a part of it
2: i i see what you're saying about the ending yeah like it's uh there isn't a like a like a, a great through line for like what he's trying to like say like what his you know his turn of like goodwill toward men kind of thing yeah. is like what he's trying to find but it's it, yeah I, I feel like we're probably I feel it probably was better back then and then now it's like we're we're used to sort of better kind of thesis statement of for like doing good or something like it's sure. just like so like it might just be like it's because it's not well it's not written you know it's like just him off the cuff like yeah it doesn't really hit like it could yeah um, and that's fair i think
3: you're know. i think you're right it's it's missing that through line yeah you know like
2: and like for the rest of the movie like for the rest of that movie like i i can see why like bill being maybe unhappy with it because i think frank cross is pretty unlikable and i like i'm sure a lot of like the funnier if there was funnier stuff filmed it would just make him a little more likable every time and like the you know the audience isn't really because he he, because like when he's a jerk he's a jerk like right like a lot and he just gets real selfish like real quick and uh if it was, just, it, it, it's almost like you have to keep that, that tone, like, you, you know, when, when he goes to the shelter and like, he just turns on Claire, like with it in an instant, um, that like, that was like really hurtful. Like he just like, man, if he just, but me, but if he was like so lighthearted, so kind of with his, his good lines, you know, I think it like, it just softens him probably. um, And then, you, you know, maybe, maybe that wouldn't even, it would be like inconsistent or something like he'd be too likable. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's so funny or whatever, I don't know. But who knows what the actual like content of the ad libs were? But right. I I can see or, I could see that why Donner kind of went with the the scenes he did.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> also, that's kind of what I like about that that scene at the end. It feels very raw and real because it's it's a little bit of Bill Murray coming out in there. It's not yeah. just Frank Cross the character. So I get yeah. I I I totally hear what you're saying I just for me that that's the rawness of it worked and mm-hmm. I I enjoyed that I, I really like that ending um, oh, yeah. but I, I imagine on set like that would have gone much further and much more elaborate and longer and he's walking off his marks and that whole walking through the studio is that was bill just ad-libbing and not you know sticking right. to what was written so I, I could see why that would that would definitely upset a director. Um, But yeah, I think that for me, that that's what makes it work.
2: Sure. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's a a nice scene.
3: And I could be wrong. I could just have no heart. I I could be, I could be dead inside. (laughs) Well, well, we know that. (laughs) (laughs) Easy explanation.
1: (laughs) But this is easily, I want to say the most kind of spectacular version of the Christmas Carol story. Um up to this point, I mean, all the movies that had been done, it feels like this is the biggest spectacle. you've got a major director, a major star, uh what a thirty million dollar budget, I think, so that's right
3: around yeah yeah,
1: pretty hefty for eighty seven eighty eight um, yep. yeah, it just this movie, and one comment Bill has said about Richard Donner and how he was directed is that he's very loud in the movie like it's really like it is a loud movie the vo- there's always right. loud there's yelling a lot of screaming a lot of you know frank is very high energy and cuz he's obviously uh, you know uh, upset a lot of the time so he's just so much yelling and intensity it's a lot of a lot of energy in this movie
3: yes
2: anytime i'm on a set and uh like working and someone says could you hold the work and then i always just mutter under my breath can we hold the goddamn hammering <laughs> every time? I just
1: and it, it amuses me to know.
0: <laughs> Would you please hold the goddamn hammering
1: now? Let's talk about that opening though. The the you got the Danny Elfman score coming in first, and then you've got this yeah. <laughs> amazing action sequence. Uh, this like siege of uh santa's workshop and lee yes. majors who was again a name probably a lot of uh younger listeners aren't familiar with but he was a huge bad yeah uh, a huge action star uh tv star from the 70s and 80s uh he'd done the the six million dollar man and then at this point he was deep into the fall guy right oh yeah yes the Fall Guy, a show that went like eight seasons about a Hollywood stuntman.
3: Was it eight seasons? I don't It know. felt like it was my entire childhood. It which must was... be about right. Oh, wow. And it was. I I loved that show. Yeah,
1: The Fall Guy was great, oh. and he was married to Farrah Fawcett for a while, I think, in the seventies. And um, wow, I don't yeah, have but... even heard of it. You
4: know, The Fall Guy,
1: oh,
2: David. No idea what that is. Shame oh i think i'd know but no
3: <laughs> there's got to be a way to find it is it is it accessible anywhere well no. i know
1: you can get the dvds you can is oh. it on peacock maybe is yeah.
3: it on peacock is it on my Pe- tv peacock <laughs> hey man they got some good old stuff i'm not gonna lie they got the wonder years which is rad but they yeah. also have punky brewster which is the best
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I love that opening sequence. It's just, it cracks me up every time with like the way Lee Majors comes in and, and you know, I really, right off the bat, like you're, uh, the movie's tackling the the commercialization of Christmas and how, uh, you know, not just that, but you, how the 1980s could turn any subject into an action movie. Yeah. It could do anything. <laughs> but, well, I
3: mean, and and the whole scene just touches on so many things that were hot button topics at that time, right? I mean, by mm-hmm. you know the at least Bill Murray's or or Frank Cross's uh, version of promo uh, yeah. for for the for the the Christmas Carol touches on all of it, like the just say no to drugs, the the people getting shot on the highway, yeah, you right. know, um, terrorism you know and then they 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 refer back to it later like the next day or whatever and some old lady has has died from watching the the promo which you know there there were actually news stories back then i re- recall them of of older people passing out after seeing some kind of action show on tv that mm-hmm. at the time was you know a bit more Edgy and you know, it's probably like max headroom or something like that it Caused him to fall over and and pass out and it's just it it kind of tied all that together in Hmm. in one promo and it was it was pretty it's hilarious. I think it's very funny
1: Yeah, that going right into that promo uh, from from the Lee majors clip into the boardroom and and then uh you know they they run the the real promo for the Scrooge uh or the Christmas carol special they're gonna do uh but then Frank Cross plays his version of what it should be and acid rain highway That's, uh, shootings yeah yeah That's, that screaming. dis that disturbed me so much like uh, as a kid, just seeing like someone just pull up and shoot you point blank with a shotgun and then the yeah. the plane exploding right after that was like what what are we watching? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember which, that. Which touches
3: uh, on the Pan Am.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, yeah.
3: I mean it's yeah.
0: Absolute rain uh, uh, uh. Drug addiction. Uh, uh, uh. International terrorism. Freeway Killers. Now, more than ever, it is important important to remember remember the the true meaning of Christmas. Christmas. Don't miss Charles Dickens' immortal classic, Scrooge. Your life might just depend on it. Not bad, huh?
1: Yeah, very topical. But again, it's like... You know, the theme of, of the commercialization of Christmas runs through this entire movie. I mean, it, it's probably the, you know, the, the main undertone of the film is, is that, you know, even about making this special, it's all about, you know, marketing Christmas and uh, how much money they can squeeze out of it. And Frank's vision is a lot edgier, <laughs> you know, than the traditional one. Uh, but what's the
3: name what's the name of the lee majors the night the night the reindeer died the night
1: the reindeer died yeah right <laughs> great. psychos taking over the workshop
2: <laughs>
3: yeah oh my god they've followed actually
1: followed by oh go ahead Brent.
3: oh i was just gonna say that's actually a movie that they just recently made i watched it uh earlier this week called fat man with mel gibson if you haven't seen it uh it's uh it's an interesting spin on chris kringle that's for sure
1: <laughs> oh boy no I'm i'm good <laughs> <laughs> um wow. I want to do a, a shout out to Robert Goulet's uh <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Cajun Christmas. Cajun Christmas. That's <laughs> Silver Bells like every time I see Goulet or even see like Will Ferrell doing Goulet like I I hear him singing Silver Bells from this movie. Oh wow. That's your
2: that's your go their go-to Goulet.
1: <laughs> yeah, go-to Goulet. I like how there's an alligator chasing him, and he keeps kind of yeah. like subtly looking back, like uh... yeah. just like boating. Was he like kayaking through the bayou or something? Is yeah. he or
3: is he is he on a gondola? Oh, he's a yeah. gondola. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> oh my god! What was the final special uh, after that? What was the other? Is there something else? Yeah, uh, I
1: think there's one more thing. Remember oh, cookies I coming out of the them. oven. And then oh, I don't remember what it turned into. Is it Julia Child? Is it a Julia Child thing? No, I can't remember. Yeah. No, I don't know. Never mind. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's the whole film sort of a a satire on you know Dickens' classic versus you know Reaganism through the '80s. It's uh, it's, it's such an interesting mix of of worlds in this movie. Um. I, I think it, I think all of it works for it and makes it stand out.
2: Yeah. It's a nice modern update, you know, taking the, what, what the, yeah, the, the insatiable greed of, of eighties, you know, executives and stuff like that. And climbing the good. corporate ladder and yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, foregoing the, the better pleasures in the life of like, you know, relationships and love and everything and, and friendship um, and family. And it's like, you know, that's, It's a perfect modern update. It's a perfect place to start Um, because it's uh, you know it's you see everything from like you see all the facets of like uh, of the different classes that he's attached to. So you know just like his like lower his lower middle class like secretary, his middle class brother, and then like his his love who you know, has dedicated herself to helping people like in just pure charity. And, you know, he, he thinks he's got it all. Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah, this is a great commentary on, uh, he's a perfect, perfect type of character to, to, to make into a Scrooge. I like that this movie is a verb, like a past tense <laughs> verb. Like he was yep. Scrooged. Yeah. Um, like it's such a great, I don't know. I like that title. It's so a great much. word. Yeah. 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 got Scrooged. Yeah, and I love that they don't call it Dickens' classic Christmas Carol. It's it's Dickens' classic Scrooge, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which it's a very particular pointed thing because I I think probably more people would just associate with the Scrooge character, like, right? Like I don't know if everybody knows it's called a Christmas Carol, you know? Right,
3: right, right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I always referred to it as Scrooge.
2: Yeah, but like, yeah. It's a great uh it's well, great shorthand. It's a like Christmas every... Carol
3: just rolls right off the tongue, right? Yeah. I mean, like...
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like every uh photocopier is a Xerox machine. There yeah, you go. Exactly. You know, and Kleenex, not tissues. Right. Right. So and yeah. then that holiday classic, Scrooge. Not a Christmas carol. Um,
1: Christmas <clears throat> carol. But yeah, he's sold out, you know, all of the the goodness in his life. He sacrificed all of that for you know, like I said, climbing the corporate ladder and getting this major, you know, going from, uh, what was he? He was, uh, under a costume as like the puppet on the, or the a puppy or a dog on that kid's show going from that all the way to like running the entire network or, or being the number two under Robert Mitchum.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's funny. It's funny. Like I, I wanted to see more of his career rising kind of <laughs> like, I wish I like watching it now, like what was so great about his rise to the top? Like, you know, what was he getting out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but like, I guess it's not important, but I don't know. You, you feel like him coming, he was like nothing, and then he was something, and, that was, and that's it. There's like not really a great middle. Like, so I, I would have wanted to see more of him turning into the person he became. Um, not that it's a flaw of the movie necessarily. It's just uh, I, I kind of want to see more.
1: Well, they're so yeah. they're so opposite, right? It's like yeah. you go from one end all the way to the other, and you don't really see a slower transition. Yeah, it, it's
3: yeah. a big piece that's missing. I mean, we see him go from basically the mailroom to playing a character on the show, getting invited to dinner, and then next he's, you know, he's a this lead, this head executive who's just like steamrolling everybody. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. There's a big piece missing there. Yeah. That would that would be very interesting to see.
0: We're indivisible. If I'm working late, you got to work late. If you can't work late, I can't work late. If I can't work late, I can't work late.
1: You know, another common theme for Bill in a lot of his films is his search for redemption. And, you know, it's ultimately what he realizes that he's trying to do at the end uh, of this one. And it's come through a lot of his films, especially in his later years. It's, it's, kind of a present, uh, an always present theme for him.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <clears throat> and I think he's good at selling that, you know, he's good at making that turn. So maybe that's why he goes back to it every so often. <laughs> um, you got a great cast here too. Oh, this yeah. is like, there's so many great actors in this movie. And of course you want to start, let's start talking about Bobcat Goldthwaite oh yeah <laughs> yeah start at the top his his spiral his downward
2: spiral is so good <laughs> and like that he 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 keeps showing up in the as a in the background essentially of the action and you just see more and more of his but like his his terrible uh you know spiral down and it's not you know and, and if he was a real person it'd be terrible like it'd be tragic and uh but somehow it's, to me, it's just kind of funny like the I laugh at so much in this movie that I, like, if you, you know, if you took it, took it any more serious or, you know, thought of it as real, it's, it's all kind of just terrible. Like,
1: you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, the timeline on his, uh, of his demise is like insanely fast. I mean, this yeah. whole movie <laughs> takes place in what within a couple of days probably. Right. right. So yeah, yeah. He, gets, he gets fired and you know, that, that second scene of the movie and, And immediately, like, kicked out of the building, and like, immediately, he's like homeless, uh, lost his whole family. He's an alcoholic. Like, how do how do you lose all of that like within hours?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The the fact that his wife left him with his wife took their kid and left him because he lost his job. It's like, (laughs) it's, it's there, and he's just he can't, and he can hardly get by just trying to be drunk for the rest of the time, and then. And then where did he get the shotgun? <laughs> like, just, yeah exactly <laughs> like and then he's gonna resort to murder. I love it like it's it, somehow I don't know it's uh that's a that's a descent I buy is just comedic like yeah comedic it's just
1: funny oh, yeah yeah yeah, you can't take that yeah. you can't take that that part of it too seriously. I mean yeah. what's really going on about him getting fired for having morals and you know. Like yeah. of course that's sad, sure. but the 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 way he portrays it, I mean, in the '80s, how could you take Bobcat Goldthwait seriously? You know, he was coming off of probably three Police Academy movies and what one crazy summer.
3: One crazy summer, yeah. Police Academy. He was he had been in Tapeheads, right? And then he was the lead in Hot to Trot, which was oh interesting.
1: yeah, right, with John but, Candy, and yeah.
2: the horse.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then yeah. in and then in Scrooge
0: I'm alive. How are you.
2: But it's it. There's a lot of slapstick in this movie. That like it's very like uh, a lot of just a lot of pratfalls and gags. Like and it's very three Stoogy, <laughs> like Three Stooges. And um, oh yeah, the, yeah. Lot the physical humor is just all over it. And mm-hmm. I think yeah, you, you just kind of lean into that with it, and it's just. Sometimes people falling down is just funny, man. Like, yeah, people well, getting hi- hurt is funny.
3: Yeah, highlighted by you know the ghost of Christmas Present and Carol Kane. Oh God, where she was literally kicking his ass. in, yeah. in those yeah.
1: scenes, and in re- for in real life too. Apparently, right? Yeah, really, that's, that's what loss? I'm talking about. Yeah, but she like yeah. tore his lip when she pulls his lip. Uh, like, oh, yeah. and you can see if you watch like you can see him kind of react and <laughs> oh like, she kicked oh,
3: him shit. in the groin she was punching him she yep. hit him with the toaster all that like all that happened
1: yeah
2: well yeah but i mean how much of that did he feel i mean like i think
1: a fair amount of it yeah. oh wow as yeah. he recalls it in, <laughs> in- and and she's talked about how how bad she felt about doing those scenes that <laughs> she would like Break down because she's not a stunt person, and they wanted her doing it, and mm-hmm. and she was uh, just really upset by it. You know, I guess she's a very anti-violence person, so
2: oh, I see quite a pacifist.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, but she's uh, great, and another uh, like really memorable. I-, I think this one, as a kid, this one stood out to me a little more than Princess Bride. Yeah, as, far as Carol Kane goes. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I
2: mean this is this is this is great. This is so funny uh, for her. I, lo- I love her in this.
3: I feel oh. like she was all over the place though, right? I mean, those were she was in more than just those two. Obviously, more than just those two things. But yeah,
1: I, those were just the ones that I think stood out for me. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, she's been in a ton of things.
3: Yeah, I'm just trying to think through because she was she was very recognizable. In both this and Princess Bride, but I felt like I had known her my entire life,
4: mm-hmm.
3: even prior to these movies. But trying to think through, I have no idea where I from. What?
2: Jumping well, Jack Flash.
1: Looking. Yeah, there you go. The Muppet yeah. movie. Yep. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Dog
2: Day uh, Afternoon. yeah.
1: Muppet, uh, yeah. Muppet, yes. Muppet yes.
3: movie for sure. I had that on tape. I broke that tape. I watched it so much. <laughs>
2: Carnal knowledge.
3: <laughs> I don't know about that one.
2: <laughs> <It> seems, <laughs> seems
3: seems a little. Uh... Well, and,
2: and she was on uh, she was on Taxi f- for a couple of seasons, I think. Right, or right.
1: One? She was uh, like with Andy end. Kaufman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She's she's great here. Uh, we've got Karen Allen, of course, who's you know a big star at the time. She was in. Raiders of the Lost Ark and Starman and um, really sells the heart of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh
3: yeah. I agree.
1: You know, she, she's great Yeah. I mean, she symbolizes all the goodness that Frank used to have and has walked away from, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, but in a way, I mean, she, This is going to sound weird, but like she's sort of a little flat to me looking at it now in that she's got she's one note that she's just so good. And she's so, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's I don't think as much depth to that character looking at it from 2020 that you could do something a lot more with that than they did back then. Yeah, Yeah. she has to be the counter to his right bad right yeah. i mean
3: like she's the balance so i i agree it is all one note you know we don't we don't ever see an arc from her she's mm-hmm. just always always good but she's the thing that could have grounded him that got away you know and it's not or until he, he realizes away. Yeah. yeah exactly and it's not until he realizes it that he you know i mean through the course of the movie that he changes and it, it has, you know, to do as much as with the ghost as it does with having her back in his life. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. But at the same time, you know, she, she, that's kind of the point of her, of her character is to, is to counter counterbalance that.
1: Well, you do see a little bit in the, uh, the ghost of uh, Christmas future where you mm. see that potential, path she could go down that, that that's she, good point that she did the same thing he did and turned her back on everything and um, So you do but then you see that moment where she's shoes away the kids and then Yeah, you know, you see right. her her crying um, so yeah, I guess you get a little bit there, but um, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. what she's she represents more than represents things more than like she actually you know is like she represents a bigger impact than you know, she actually that we that we get to see, but um, like rewatching this, like when she first appears on screen, like you know she's calling him by his nickname and, uh and then she just appears like behind the people and so, and I just got like so overjoyed to see her in that shot. Like I, I it was I was, I mean I've seen the movie a bunch of times, but I, it's been a while. But man, I was just like i was overjoyed like there was like a, it's like it's like her character what she represents was like beaming already to me like it's like oh yeah like she's the she's the the, the like the north star she's great like, i don't know so i was like i was i was taken aback by my like visceral like uh you know overjoyed feeling for, by seeing her it was really weird
1: yeah, she's just got that kind of personality, too, that she's always, I don't know, just kind of like a, a happy, positive energy. So I think that was really good casting. To, she wouldn't have been like the first person, I would think, uh, on the list for to, to co-star with Bill Murray, but I think it ended up being great, a great choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think, okay, so... Let's go back to the boardroom in the beginning. So another person, another actress we see there is Mary Ellen trainer who was yeah. in like most of Richard Donner's yeah, films. She's
3: she's the psychiatrist in lethal weapon. Yeah. She's right? the
1: mom in the Goonies. <laughs> I mean, she was like yeah. America's mom for a while in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in what she's in Die Hard. She's the news, one of the news reporters. And yeah, Um, She she doesn't have much going on here. She's just recognizable. No, she's just, yeah, exactly. She's just another movie she shows up in. But do you think that there's like a sexual relationship or some sexual harassment going on from Frank Cross to her? I
3: I do. Uh, You see certain, you see in certain moments where he's like caressing her back or like reaching for her hand or, you know, things that are not, specifically drawn attention to but crossing the line you know yeah. at least in today's standards crossing the line for right. sure yeah in in the 80s little grayer area but still you know we've all matured and learned better learned learned better lessons and so but yeah i think it's intentional you know i think it's yeah. there it's meant to be
1: i wonder if it's a uh in the world of the movie like are they just having are they ha- actually like seeing each other like having yeah or or is he like completely just you know doing that male harassment
3: yeah i don't know It's you know there's there's a whole lot of this movie that apparently was on the cutting room floor so yeah those could have been elements that were that were filmed and not didn't make the cut Uh, i mean at the end he also is does isn't it her that he says you know Order the champagne, the good stuff that, that we get or whatever, not the not the stuff that we send out to people. You know, I, I think it's him that it it's her that he's talking to. Right? Yeah, I think so.
1: Well, it's good to see Mary Ellen Trainer uh anytime we get her, her uh you know, get her to, to grace the screen. Yeah. <laughs> um Alfred Woodard, does this her I think this is the first movie I remember seeing her in. Uh, and obviously she 's gone on to have a huge career in the yeah um in so many great great films but she's she 's great here as as the um you know as frank cross 's secretary who apparently makes no more no extra money working for the biggest you know t v executive in town yeah yeah
4: none. Yeah.
1: yeah grace grace uh,
2: has it has it rough she 's got a family she's got four kids to take care of and her mother lives with her and she doesn't even get a Christmas bonus working for this most powerful man in television.
3: I mean, he, she got a She got a towel.
2: She got that towel. <laughs>
1: she got <laughs> Good that <for> towel. Her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, some of those kids, uh, her kids are, I think the same kids that they're, they're Danny Glover's kids from lethal weapon. Are uh, they is it all? All yeah. of them? I don't know if it's all of them. I know that this, um, her son, her older son, is uh, the mm. older son from *Lethal Weapon*. But um, well, that's cool. Yeah, I did not sure. put that together. Yeah, it's uh little, a little. There's a couple of little connections to *Lethal Weapon*, that, which is just the downerism. So, oh, yeah, look at that. That's true. Yeah, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, solid performance from Alfred Woodard. Of course you get a few of the Murray brothers showing up here. Uh John Murray is uh plays Frank Cross's brother. Yep. Who's your typical like, you know, white American male <laughs> just like the sweaters and yeah. their, you know, have average average joe. Average joe. Yeah. 80s average joe. Yeah, yeah. Um really excited by the VCR gift. yeah surprised by the generosity yeah and i don't think i don't think he did he may have shown up in a few more movies but nothing major for for john murray joel murray who you see later at the their christmas uh you know gathering i don't think he's got any lines in this but he's the one who actually went on to be um you know he's in mad Men and he's had a lot more uh you know larger appearances in movies so right well, and then and then,
3: good old Brian.
1: Yeah, then you got Brian Doyle Murray. Good old
3: Murray. Bubba <laughs> Brian.
1: He's just uh, Brian Doyle Murray. I love him so much, and he's in so many movies. He was like, yeah, it felt like he was in every movie for such a long time.
3: Yeah, he was in every movie for such a long time.
2: <laughs> I think <laughs> this was the movie when I, I was when I was yeah, I was confused that I actually thought that. He was Bill's father (laughs) Like I know he plays (laughs) His father in the movie but You know he always looked by the time You know he he turned into what he He's looked like for the last 35 years Like he always seemed older Like I don't know and somehow Bill seemed younger like Like significantly in my Child brain well (laughs) Brian Doyle
1: (laughs) Murray like aged He just like Aged significantly between National Lampoon's vacation and this <laughs> Yeah. you know that mid 80s like he gained a little weight he lost his hair he grew the mustache it was like he almost looks like a different guy yeah from the one yeah. you saw in uh vacation and caddyshack and the earlier stuff
2: oh yeah yeah the, i think and i think he went white or yeah white or gray like super early so yeah yeah like so to me I always seemed like an older
1: man and then i don't know I have no sense of time and age. <laughs>
2: well, as a kid,
1: that that look that he had in in Christmas Vacation and Wayne's World, like he hung on to that look, yeah, like, to this day, basically. So, yeah, that's his look. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, and he's great in a very very small role, very sad uh, moment for young Frank Cross. We're just getting, you know, he's sitting there brainwashed by the TV because his, you know, really doesn't have any emotional connection with his parents. His mom's smoking a cigarette and is about to go out and leave him to just, you know, have his uh, TV babysitter. And the dad comes home and tosses him some meat for Christmas. Some veal. Some veal. Veal. Five pounds of veal.
2: That's nothing
1: to, you know, nothing to cry about. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a sad moment for young Frank.
2: Yeah.
3: I will say the cost of veal has not appreciated very much since this movie, because
1: it's still about $11 a
3: pound.
2: <laughs> no.
3: The only reason I know that, because I was curious <laughs> what, when Bill Murray was crying about the value of, of the veal in the movie, I, I
1: looked it up. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and then, yeah, at the same time, we, we see uh, Robert Mitchum as, as Frank Cross's boss, and he was um, I, I think Mur- Bill Murray con- convinced Mitchum to take this part, and uh, you know Robert Mitchum's career was—he uh, was still acting a fair amount, but you know the majority of his career was behind him. He was, um, you know, not necessarily doing a lot of big movies anymore; just here and there, small parts. But uh, yeah. he's great in this. I mean, he's—I <laughs> used to think Robert Mitchum was like the coolest guy when I was a kid, so. Uh, it was good to see him here. And and John Glover as well. John Glover was in Gremlins 2, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And,
3: yeah. and Smallville. Let's not forget Smallville. Yeah. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> but he's so great as the smarmy, you know, L.A., uh, you know, production executive who's, who's gunning for Bill Murray's job. Uh, he's played that kind of role a few times, and he's just so good at selling it. Frank Cross has got the the pressure, you know, of of this hot young executive coming into town and uh potentially, you know, pushing him out of his job, so he's got a he's got to really like hit a home run with this Christmas special or you know, that could be the end of him there. And that's like the corporate I mean, I think that is like the corporate uh, you know, la- the problem with the corporate ladder is that there, there's always somebody there who who could replace you at any moment.
0: Right. Yeah,
2: it's very stressful to keep well, your job as you keep going up. Someone, yeah. someone's gunning for you. I mean,
3: Bill Murray makes it a point to state at some point in the movie that he's the youngest executive or head executive of IBC or whatever, mm-hmm. and and then this young guy comes in and immediately triggers mm-hmm. the person, you know the 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 survival instincts of of murray running in and asking you know his assistant to get all the scoop on on who this guy is and what he's doing there and yeah
1: and great choice of names here too bryce cummings that's such like a I don't know. Yeah, bryce yeah, <laughs> yeah. right Some bryce. so l.a yeah
3: very l.a very and, avocado toast
1: yeah <laughs> and robert mitchum's name is preston rhinelander just like <laughs> where'd you get that name from <clears throat> <laughs> and the choice to like not even use the Ebenezer Scrooge name at all you know no. it's completely new uh, name for Frank Cross here so
3: I mean the only time you hear it is in the <clears throat> promo or they're like and Buddy Hackett as Buddy Hackett
2: Scrooge yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah
1: and those yeah. are like that special is is filled with you know TV stars of the day that people are not going to know, you know, who those people were. It's no, Buddy Hackett and Jamie Farr and yeah. um, John Hausman. Like, yeah.
3: the, the solid gold dancers. Like, solid this, gold, is solid their gold. Last, this was their last performance. Their show had already been canceled. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, he's visited uh, as he has his sort of nervous breakdown in his office and where he's visited by... John Forsythe is is basically the Jacob Marley character who's comes back from the dead to warn Frank about you know his the choices he's made and what he's done. Um, so creepy, like with the was it the mouse coming out of his like skull out of his head. and yeah, yeah. And, um, pushing was... a golf
3: ball. What, didn't yeah, a mouse pushed a golf ball out of his. Yeah,
1: head? well, it looks like he died on the golf course, That's... right? So. There or
3: he, or or he like golfing enough to get buried in his golf clothes.
1: <laughs> Either or,
3: he's uh, playing those back nine in the sky.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and then pretty quickly we get into the the ghosts, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it starts uh, to. Yeah, the the first ghost comes at at noon, noon. right? And yeah, he thinks it's going to be. And also the waiter, I've been. I was like, why do I? I every time I watch that mo- this movie, I I always forget to look up who the the waiter is. But uh, of course, he played Socrates in Bill and Ted's Excellent that's Adventure. That's right. oh, Boom. That's yes. right. Tony Steedman. So yes, uh, it's like why? What is it about him that he's always triggering something in my head? Yes. Like he's Socrates. <laughs> like, Welcome back like, to the show, Tony. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Tony. Yeah. We lost him back in two thousand one. Um, yeah. Thankfully, before the tragic events of nine eleven, that he didn't yeah. have to experience that.
3: <laughs> Man, you go through these credits. There's a lot of there's a lot of the people from mm-hmm. this for this this movie that are no longer with us. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, David Johansson, who plays the ghost of Christmas Past, is still with us, right? He is. And can
3: I tell you something? Mm-hmm. Honest, this is true story. Here, I thought his name was Buster Poindexter. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, yeah, I know it. Everybody I know that's did. his musician name. I honestly, when when it said David Johansson on on the credits, I looked it up. I was like, "What? That's Buster Poindexter, yeah. man! What? It, you guys messed this up." Yeah, well, I thought like, they wait. changed the credit in the movie and the one that I just watched. I was like, "There's no way he was credited as David Johansson.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, he no shows idea. up in a very Murray Christmas. Spoiler alert! Uh, oh, does well, he? Now yeah. Now you're in, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: I mean, you had me at lost in translation, but now, 100% in.
1: <laughs> well, apparently, uh, Sam Kinnison was up for the role of of Ghosts of Christmas Past. That would have been interesting too. Um, talk about yelling! Talk about loud! Yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah, Maybe it was just too much volume happening already. When did Kinnison die? I think it was '89.
3: Okay, so it was before. So movie. yeah, I think so it wasn't like they cast him and he died and then
1: right. Okay. Uh, but it could have been any number of reasons why he wasn't chosen for it. Sure. Uh, yeah. 92 he died, sorry.
2: 92. 92, okay.
1: okay. Yeah, and Johansson's only in it. You know, each of the ghosts really isn't, that, isn't in the film that long, but they make quite an impression. And, you know, him guiding Frank to remember you know, his youth and, and how sad it was and like trying to get him to acknowledge that, that he didn't have a good upbringing. Yeah. And Frank just won't go there. Well,
2: yeah, didn't have a good upbringing. And then like the one good thing in his life is there. And then, you know, he has, he gets to share in a couple great moments and then just really one scene that, you know, destroys it and then you know then he gets to move on so i mean i think i think the past ghost he's there the most i was gonna uh, say
3: I, I feel like he spends the most time with with that ghost at least in the in the in the time of the movie right like, right
2: yeah like the number of minutes on screen yeah, right and then carol king gets time with him but she only shows him two events but so they they spend a few minutes just you know fighting in the the when she shows up and it's yeah. such a it's such a wacky, wacky thing. I just love that, you know, the stage goes dark and she appears and she's so, like, weird, bubbly and there's actual bubbles and yeah. like, lights floating Wings, around. Wings, the whole and fairy thing, up. yeah. Yeah, like, she's this crazy, <laughs> violent fairy. <laughs> like, to are trying
1: to knock some sense into this guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, got it. And then, uh, and, uh, by this point, he's already... Gone to visit Claire at the shelter, right? Where we see Anne yeah. Ramsey from the Goonies and we see Michael J. Pollard. And, yeah. and, uh, it's, I, I remember being so sad when, you know, uh, Carol Kane shows him that Michael J. Pollard's frozen to death, like in the, the yeah. streets of, you know, like uh, underneath the, the, the street, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, she,
2: she just drops him down there and it's like scary and lonely. And, yeah. Um, she doesn't actually talk to him while he's down there. And then he's just confronted with this guy he just met. And then,
3: but it's, it's, it hits you pretty good. Like, mm -hmm. I remember that really leaving an impression when I, when I first saw the movie, like it's one of the scenes that sticks out to me from my childhood where I'm like, Oh man, this like really kind of nice, you know, guy from the, from the the shelter and, and, you know, he dies. And I was like, wow, that's really sad to think about that that's where his life is, you know? And and that one really kind of, I mean, at least for me, it it landed and kind of stuck with me throughout. Mm -hmm. Each time I see it, I'm like, wow, that's pretty powerful.
1: Yeah, well, the movie, part of what makes this movie so interesting is that it has so many different tones to it. Like, it's hilariously funny, it's got really emotional drama and it's got like horror stuff going on. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. especially with the ghost of Christmas future, like oh, yeah. some of that stuff is, is scary and it's meant to be scary. You know, what when the hell's he,
3: going on under his robes, man? <laughs> exactly. It's got like gloss souls in it, man. <laughs> it is, <It's> yeah.
1: <laughs> Creepy as hell. It's yeah. like what in Freddy, uh, nightmare on Elm street five or something like Freddy does the same thing. Yeah. Oh really? He's, he probably took it from Scrooge. Mm-hmm it's pretty it's that scary but yeah like th- there's it's this weird mix of all those different emotions going on um and, and it bounces from one to the other yeah like when when frank is in the the coffin and he's his literally it looked like bill murray's feet were on fire and he's about to be burned alive like they hold on that long enough where it's like mm. okay that's not cool (laughs) you know it's scary yeah uh i don't know it's i i just really i think a lot of people had when this movie first came out if you look back at the reviews a lot of the the reviews from critics are are criticizing it for uh, and not being clear what the tone is that if it's a comedy it should be a comedy if it's a drama it should be a drama it's this like they were saying it that's what doesn't work in this movie. Is that it, it, it's not consistent.
2: That's that's kind of a, I, I find that a bit unfair.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I don't think that's a. I, I don't think that's fair to the movie at all. Yeah.
2: What? What? It should be. If it's gonna make jokes, it should make a lot of jokes, or you know. Or if it's gonna be, you know, psychologically, you know, dramatic, it should just stay that way. It's like what? Yeah. Like what are you talking about? <laughs>
1: you could. You can do both. Well, I I think that's what makes a good movie uh, one quality of a good movie is that it has an ability to, you know, cross emotions like that and can manage those Um, maybe because of like the intensity of the movie and the, that, you know, high, loud energy that that was a struggle for them back in the eighties. But um, I don't think so. I I embrace it on, on this one.
2: Mm hmm. Mhm. Yeah, I think it I think it holds up, uh, it, you know, it gets better with age. I think we can appreciate the 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 tonal shifts better these days. Mhm. Or I guess yeah. there there were expectations for for whatever for Bill Murray. I mean, I could sort of see like it it does seem like the movie has its like sections sort of like, you know. Sure. I guess like, I but I don't think it it's like so wildly off-base that you can't like follow it or like it's too there's too many shifts that it's like, oh, this is just, you know, hard to, hard to keep up with. I don't, I don't yeah. think that's. It may have well, been ahead of,
3: it may have been ahead of its time a yeah. little bit. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think that like that first, you know, Frank Cross's ver- version of uh, the, the trailers in the beginning, you know, on, on the, fr- the first time you watch it, like, yeah, it's pretty disturbing. But then the more you watch it, it's like, it's so over the top and ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It's hilarious. Yes. So, you know, I, I. I I can understand on the first time if you're writing a review after the first time seeing it, that it might be a little jarring to go yeah. from that. And especially yeah. like you said, with the expectations of a Bill Murray movie, like you're not getting Stripes or Ghostbusters necessarily here. Right.
3: Since you brought up his promo again, and we couldn't remember what the other commercial was during that opening scene. I've remembered it's it's Father Loves Beaver. Oh, yeah. It yeah. was the one that we couldn't remember. That's earlier. Right.
2: A Leave it to Beaver reboot called yeah. Father Loves Father Beaver. Father Beaver, yeah. Oh, boy.
1: Oh, goodness. Which has nothing to do with Christmas. Nope. Nothing at all.
0: Excuse me, Lumpy. Around these parts, most people call me Miss Cross. I'm sorry. I'm new here, and I got a problem. I bet. What? Oh well, my problem is Miss Littlefella. Oh. I can't get the antlers glued onto this little guy. We tried crazy glue, but it don't work. Have you tried staples? Staples? Don't you dare. If you staple that little mouse, I'll call the Humane Society. I'm not kidding. I wouldn't do anything in the world to hurt this little fella. Hey, Marlon, Perkins, the road. I have three dogs and oh, a cat at a home. Oh, beautiful story. Tell Reader's Digest, will you? Staples. Same old Claire. Still trying to save the world. You still trying to run it? <laughs> hip hop, hip hop, let's go. Get out of
1: here. Do you think the movie's mean spirited? That's another like comment that kept getting thrown at it uh, when it came out.
2: Mean spirited to who? Like capitalists or something?
1: Well, just in general. Is it, is, is it a like, is he too mean? Is his character too mean spirited?
3: I think that's the point. He's supposed to be bulldozing everybody. He's like steamrolling. Yeah. He's, whatever it takes to get to the top. Like he doesn't care. I mean, it's, you know, like it doesn't make any sense to make a Scrooge movie where the guy you're trying to convince to be a good person. Isn't a terrible person to start off with. So,
1: well, it's Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, isn't Scrooge sort of the definition of being mean spirited? Yes. Kind of. Yeah. So, you would think that <clears throat> that tone coming across in the movie, like that's it's intentional. It's supposed to be that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe. Yeah. It's probably just unsettling to see Bill Murray playing someone who's who's cruel, or yeah, just like yeah, he's got a terrible attitude about poor people or the working class or whatever. Like he de- Yeah. You know, he's extremely selfish and and yeah, he can be. He, he's insulting and. I don't know. And he fires a guy for, you know, questioning what he does. I mean, he's, he's a mean dude. Like that's, so I can see, so again, I can see why like, yeah, cut out more of the cut out more of the funny bill stuff because you're just going to end up liking him more. And Mm -hmm. I think that actually would affect the tone like worse. You know, I think it would actually would have created more inconsistency. (laughs) I mean, he's funny, but not, not because he's trying to entertain anybody else. He's just funny. Like, and yeah. and he gets to still be mean and shitty.
1: Yeah. Well and does that does that make Bill like the perfect person to play this character? Uh
2: yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I just
1: feel like I who else would have been able to do to like get all of those emotions across uh in nineteen eighty eight. I don't know. Well, they... Also
3: I mean he, he didn't he he like rewrote the script with his guys. Before they started. To, yeah. Well, he added, kinda,
1: the, he added the love story with Karen Allen. Yeah. Or a lot of it.
3: Right. But I wonder if, you know, I mean, I don't, I mean, the role is great for him. He is very good at it, for sure. His facial expressions in this movie are f- priceless. <laughs> yeah. Like that opening scene, again, I, every time I watch it, I see something new. And it's just like subtle, like mannerism, mannerisms and facial expressions. And I'm just like, wow.
1: Well, that's so much of uh, of Bill's style. I mean, Ghostbusters, I, I can rewatch over and over and over, and I always find something new. And it's his it's his facial expressions that, you know, his the way he reacts to people. You know, he he's great yeah. at reacting to what other actors are saying or doing, even when it's not like a close up on him. Like right. just watch him and and it's like throwaway, but it's brilliant. Yeah. And it adds so so much nuance to his his characters, and and this is a big one. I mean, because he gets to play such a wide range of emotions here mm-hmm. um, and attitudes. It's almost like he's an actor. Oh my god! Yeah, like <laughs> he's acting for the camera. Never happened before. Um, you think he's got? You think Frank Cross has a little bit of a, a Trump flavor? Uh, 1988
3: Trump flavor. I don't remember Trump in 1988.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. No, nah, he just comes off like, you know, just Reagan. Reagan guy.
3: Reagan more, yeah.
1: more era. Reaganism than than. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Like,
2: because you know, it like the qualities that got him to the top, presumably part of it was being uh, like a mean spirited kind of guy and will step on anybody, you know, like the, those steps in between, you know, going to dinner and then becoming the, the youngest president ever in television. You know, I'm sure you could have shown like a bunch of stuff where he's just like, you know, he steps on everybody to get to the top, mm-hmm. you right? Know, like a competitor at the, com- at the company or whatever, you know, like a rival shit like that. But like, I don't know if it, it, it's, you kind, of, you know what kind of guy he is. So uh, yeah, I don't know about Trump. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. No, like when John Glover played uh, Clamp in Gremlins Two, that was supposed to be a Trump spoof, mm-hmm. like a branded kind of, you know, oh, like way too wealthy weirdo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like that's you know that's who John that's who John Glover played. Uh, it was more Trumpy, and uh, I think in the eighties. Uh, so anyway, yeah,
1: yeah. I think <clears throat> I think uh, selling the idea of sacrificing your I- individuality for the sake of capitalism, I think, is is uh, more of what's at the heart of this movie, or at least the beginning of of Frank Cross, uh, you know, his character in the first three quarters of the movie.
2: And you got to remember, like, the country in the eighties, like, was like there was a hu- huge huge portion of the country supports that, that, that kind of worldview it, specifically in the eighties of like, you know, what, what it would take, you know, money and accumulating wealth and, and the power businessman, you know, like the, the, this was an archetype that, that people fully supported. Like if you can get rich and you, you climb to the top and you put in the time and you sacrifice, you'll be, yeah, it's just like this, uh th- that's very popular so i could see also critics like just not enjoying seeing mm-hmm. something that's like kind of celebrated in a lot of places um you know yeah though, well like, the, this like, is uh, a
1: go ahead sorry I sorry
2: no sorry it's, but he's he's almost like cartoonish um in uh a, a, in the execution so but yeah some- it,
1: it is like the, the left side sort of attacking the right
2: yeah or just you know yeah a way of life i think it's mm-hmm. you know it's having a job and having a career with a company in the 80s was different than it was in the 60s and the yeah 70s. oh yeah so,
1: you know well it was all about you know the reagan 80s it was all about the money and and getting as much you know like you said wealth as you can and i mean what what came out a year before this wall street right greed mm-hmm. is good and and Michael Douglas's character. And there's a lot of similarities to, between uh, his character in Wall Street and and Bill Murray's character here in Scrooge. Yeah.
2: Do whatever it takes, man.
1: Yeah. You know, we, we watch him, Frank Cross, go through this whole journey with all the ghosts and and finally come back and realize what he's done. And, and the, that, action sequence really with bobcat goldthwaite right was where he he's in the middle of that you know running from the shotgun toting uh elliot loudermilk when when it you know he's sort of released and and figures out what he needs to do And, and and then it just gets like the logic of it is is a little out there but you know how he he gets his shotgun wielding friend to take over the director's booth and hijack the show and no security, you know, security does not stop any of this from happening. Um, you know, interrupts the show and, and does his, his, uh, monologue that we discussed, uh, at the end of the film. And I don't know, you know, I, I think it's a great ending and you see the, um, what was the, uh, the, corporate the lady who gets uh, hit by the pole and is like with her head all bandaged she's like the osha <laughs> right
2: like, no she was a censor yeah,
1: yeah the censor yeah um
2: <laughs> she points out that the the gold dancer's nipples is showing yeah, are right. actually showing <laughs> um but i have to say the ghost of christmas Pre- i was thinking about the movie i'm like i was wondering like in the in the reality of the movie could all those ghosts appear any way they wanted? And like, that's how they chose to present themselves. Like, you know, not, it, which is not a question you can answer. It's just an interesting thought. But I did like how the ghost of, of the future, he had to improvise what he was gonna do because he you see his hand coming out of the screen to grab Frank. And then it's it's interrupted by Bob and this the hand just sort of like juts away. Yeah. And then it turned into he, you know he drives him in the elevator, and to to call back from when he thought that that the the ghost was getting him and it was just the guy the guy in the costume. Yeah. Um. But like, what was what was the ghost of Christmas future original plan to like send him through time? Uh, would it have been through a television dial? Like, what, like what would? And it just happened to work out the elevator. I, I, I like the idea that the ghost had to like, had to improvise.
3: <laughs> totally wanted to say a line from nightmare on Elm street three right there.
2: but <laughs> Oh, did I, did you miss your chance? No. Well, now I have. <laughs> ah, damn it.
1: <laughs> well, now you have to say it. You now we're, we're going to embrace it. I'll, when we, when we do
3: nightmare on Elm street three, I'll say, this is the line I wanted to say. Okay when did say
2: something about don't touch that dial or something he's like, like welcome to prime time oh. bitch.
3: <laughs> sorry
2: great line oh i gotta see this movie now oh, oh you're you gonna will. love it David. oh shit man i doubt it well, once
1: I'm, we get through part two it's on the schedule for 2022 so stay tuned everybody love it um then we close out the movie with the the uh Annie Lennox and Al Green version of Put a Little Love into Your Heart. Um great, great song. Love that song. Love it so much. Yeah. It's Such okay. a happy, you know, way to conclude the movie and finish out his story and get your happy ending.
2: Yeah. Well mean, yeah, he he cha- he changed everyone's trajectory and and even you know, Grace's child speaks yep I mean that is nice. I like that,
1: yeah sweet ending, which you knew you were gonna get here and and they delivered on it and i I think it works great, yeah um where okay so where does this movie rank in your like Christmas meter? of your christmas movies like what is it a top 10 christmas movie or wh- where does it hold for you guys yeah yeah i guess top 10
2: i could see that top 12 i i guess i'd have to really i haven't I haven't thought about the i mean it, we're in the season christmas is almost here we're we are moments away yeah as, um but i haven't really thought about all the christmas stuff but no i think this would be a, a standard top 10 Like if I were to watch a bunch of Christmas movies, uh, in the season, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoy it. I really, and it's very much about the spirit of the season. Very, you know, I don't know. It's a classic tale. It's it really is a Christmas Carol, (laughs) literally. Mm. Yeah, I'd put it in top five. I think only because
3: I mean, I think the a Christmas Carol story is obviously classic one that, no matter when you were born, there was a version that's been around, right? And for me, this is the one that I think now kinda reigns supreme over all of them, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as um, which ones I like. And so, uh, you know, it's probably in top five. I'm trying to think through you Know, I mean, Elf is in there, Elf is great, yep. Um, Die
2: Hard, because mm-hmm. I do consider that a Christmas movie.
1: Yep, now David's outnumbered. I know, no,
3: David's shaking his head. No, I get it, I get it. It's not a, for everybody.
2: Bruges and Die Hard do, do not belong in the same category, <laughs> just they don't. Fat Man is
3: now in my top five. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, no, just kidding, but I, uh, yeah, it's I, uh, Gremlins, I don't know, like, I have my my top 5 are you know they're all a little off center you know it's I mean, yeah. you're not going to get any like miracle on 34th streets although that's great you're not going to get you know it's a wonderful life although i love it uh you know my top 5 are probably going to be the ones that are a little darker and a little have a little bit of a twist to them but sure. yeah
1: yeah uh, it's um absolutely top 10 Maybe top five for me, um, you know, I for me, it's like I've always got uh, Christmas Vacation, Christmas Story, Home Alone are pretty consistently my top three. But then you've got, yeah, you've got Elf and you've got Scrooge and Gremlins and, um, you know, Love Actually. You've got some other ones that I would put in there that are, you know, right below that. Um, so this would... This would be top seven for me, definitely. Just not sure where it would land exactly. But cool. um, Yeah, very high up there on the Christmas meter. You know, this time of year, definitely want to bust it out. I never want to watch it prior to December 1st.
2: Oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, that's it. Must reserve it. Sorry to hear that.
2: It's only a December movie.
1: Yeah, for me. Yep. My house. Yep. I forgot. I forgot. Last
3: in 2018, in my in my iPhone notes, I put a list together of like my save my seven favorite Christmas movies, and oh. this is this this is in the top five. There you uh, go. So I have I have Elf, Die Hard, Gremlins, Christmas Vacation, Scrooge A Christmas Story, and Home Alone. Those are my boom top seven. There you go.
2: I love that you have top seven. <laughs>
3: I don't. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't round it out with the top ten. I was like, I get dumbly tired. (laughs)
1: Like we're just gonna leave it at seven.
2: That's all you need. (laughs) Those are the only ones you need to get through the season.
1: Yeah. Um. All right. So the movie comes out uh, November twenty third, nineteen eighty eight, or at least that's when it went uh, wide release. Um. It does. Uh. Start out at number one. You know, it had a a big marketing campaign all built around bill murray and and they even kind of reference ghostbusters and some of the posters mm. um you know that he's back amongst the ghosts and so they're they're definitely trying to play off that for sure uh it had an 18 about an 18 million dollar opening weekend it topped uh land before time and oliver and company and that was the movie that i saw that weekend was definitely oliver and company so oh.
3: <laughs> really
1: yeah that's where my head was at uh in in uh, november 88 uh, but it it, uh, it did have a pretty quick drop off um to, to week two it was down to number three right moving back behind those two films again Um, And I think the the negative reviews or or mixed reviews uh, weren't helping anything. Uh, It ended up uh, having about a $60 million domestic run, $100 worldwide. So it did make money. Um, It it was, I don't think it was the hit they thought it was going to be or hoped it would be. But it did, you know, at least it it did make some money. Um, It ends up number 17 of 1988 between a fish called Wanda and Willow. So it's up there. It's, it's up there box office wise, but I think it really found its audience on home video.
2: Yeah. I think cable and home video changed it, you know, changed the perspective uh, and and attitude. I think of the country. I think people, I think people way more people like this than than didn't. I don't think, I think most people wouldn't agree with the critics.
1: Um, Yeah. I don't know. when When I was working at Suncoast, and i'll I'll judge a lot of movies by how they sold when I worked there. <laughs> like no. every Christmas, you know, they didn't really stock a lot of Christmas movies during the rest of the year. They pretty much held them off till like after Halloween, and then we'd start getting shipments of everything. And we could never keep Scrooge on the shelves. It was just mm. gone like it would be in and out in and out. And yeah. um, so I think, you know, having uh, I think time worked in this movie's favor that uh you know mm-hmm. o- o- throughout the nineties uh it just people looked much more favorably on it,
3: well, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think as the legend of Bill Murray continued to grow and grow, that probably mm-hmm. has helped it continue yeah. to to become more of a a yearly a yearly watch. Because I guess some reviews were like, yeah, there's no way this is going to become a
1: movie that people watch every year. Oh my, it couldn't have been more wrong. I call shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, that's some BS. And there was supposed to be a, a DVD that came out years ago called, like they, they advertised it called the like, you'll love it edition. <laughs> you'll, 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 like, like, you'll love love it. log. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was going to have all these extra features and documentaries and commentaries and then they shelved it. It never came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think to this day, nobody's no seen that version. Yeah, no explanation. All, the why. Blu-ray is just the movie and the trailer and that's it. Um, yep. So I, I would be really interested to hear I think Donner and Bill Murray's uh, viewpoint on it now, on the film now. You know, I I know like a lot of their conflict came out, and they weren't happy with it. And Bill, especially, kind of mm, I I wouldn't necessarily say he talked badly about the movie, but you could tell it was not a, a favorable experience. Now that so much time has gone by and so much love for it has come out, I wonder if his perspective's changed. Right. We'll have to call him and find out. We're gonna do that. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so what do you think it's it's legacy? You think it um, you know, it's still overall still works as a film, not just a Christmas film, but a, a film in general? Yeah, I think it works as yeah, it, it generally
2: works as a film. I get maybe some criticism of a bit of unevenness and you know and all that, but I think I think it's held together and and as a Christmas movie, uh, I love it. I love the, I, I love the I love what it's this I love the source material and and I like the modern take on it and I think yeah I think it it's got a very Christmassy feel no I I think I think I think it continues to to amaze and astonish viewers
3: yeah for sure I think that of the adaptations of a Christmas Carol like this is the one that nowadays people kind of go to most often except maybe you know there are other kind of one-offs like the muppet christmas carol mm-hmm. or or the mickey that we talked about but they they serve like kind of a specific purpose right for like children's yeah viewing and things like that but i think it's different any, audiences yeah any adult now like when you ask them about this story you know i think i think this is the one that most people like kind of
1: Maybe not initially think of, but like always get
3: there, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's the one I like the
1: most." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. I think, um, I think, it, I think the film really works. I think it's really strong. It's, it's all of it holds up. I think the comedy still works. I think the dramatic uh, element works. This, this story of a Christmas Carol is timeless. You know, the the, the heart of that story, you can tell. I mean you could do in so many different versions and this just I think was a really smart approach to it to like work it into 80s capitalism um, mm-hmm. and the Reaganism there that this has got to be a top five Bill Murray movie for sure ooh yeah yeah, yeah.
3: All right. I'm, in, I'm in with that yeah I might have to do a new list of seven <laughs> <laughs>
1: top seven brent's top, top seven we top need to seven. catch your name for that yeah we do <laughs> uh yeah well, we'll that's uh that. scrooged any other thoughts guys or uh we're the uh we're gonna have to get to the uh get home before santa starts uh, making his rounds
2: for sure um no i got nothing
3: yeah, no, nothing really. Sorry I was late to the podcast, but I really like these hand towels you guys sent.
1: <laughs> Glad you got it. Glad you got yeah. it. We, we sent yours first. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's going to that's gonna wrap it up here. I uh, want to say quick holiday thank yous to our friends, Curtis Moore for the poster and E.K. Wimmer for the uh, theme song as usual. And check out his podcast, Laser Graves. Uh, it's nothing but a good time, so uh, check that oh, out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, always, always fun on his show. Uh, but yeah, we got to uh, time to get home and uh, almost time to open presents. And it's uh, it's. I hope everybody out there has a fantastic holiday and everyone is staying safe and uh, you know wear your masks and everybody just just. Uh, don't go out if you don't have to okay just stay home follow the rules and there you go
2: <laughs> please please yeah let's
1: get it done covid free christmas how about that that'd be nice
3: I'll all I want for christmas
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh all right guys well happy holidays uh, i hope uh you know everyone listening has a, has a great holiday season and and my partners here as well so uh, Merry Christmas to you guys. Happy Hanukkah and, and all of the above. Yes. Same Happy to you, holidays. Pal. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be back uh, soon in the new year, 2021, with a whole new lineup of exciting movies and uh, hopefully very special guests and returning guests that we've had on the show before. And, uh, Bill Murray been, will be here. <laughs> <laughs> we've been uh, arguing Constantly about the lineup, and and uh, hopefully you guys she like agrees. what we have in store for you. So, uh, but we'll have to just stay tuned for our next episode. More
2: episodes are coming, apparently.
1: 2021,
2: guys. There's more episodes.
1: Just because it's uh the end of 2020 doesn't mean that's the end of season three. Yeah. So. Right. Uh, Step one. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, happy holidays, happy new year, and we'll see you in 2021. Take care. Seven
0: o'clock, Psycho sees Santa's workshop. Eat this, and only Lee Majors can stop them. The night the reindeer dies. and America's best-loved singer invites you to share a home-style holiday when it's Bob Goulet's Old-Fashioned Cajun Christmas. 9 o'clock. IBC presents America's favorite family in a special Christmas episode. Hi, Mom. Where's Dad? Should have been home by now. Well, Wally, if I know your father is out chasing beaver. Father loves beaver. Here on IBC, you'll love it.